Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. morning church our bible reading this morning will be taken from galatians chapter 5 from verses 1 to 12 at the end of the reading i'll say this is the word of the lord please respond by saying thanks be to god galatians 5 it is for freedom that christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery mark my words i paul tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who caught in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast walks through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, one must have been persecuted. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, David. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, nice to have you here with us, worshiping with us, particularly if you're here for the first time or you've not been here in a long time. We're so happy that you choose to worship with us. You could have been anywhere else, but you're here with us today. So, you know, thank you for doing that. We've been in the book of Galatians for a while. We're trying to go through the entire book, and we're going into chapter 5 now, the uh, penultimate chapter. And... Um, it reminds me of something. I don't know how many of us have had this experience, whether personally or uh, you've witnessed it. Uh, the experience, this sort of, if I were not a Christian, I would have, you know, that kind of thing. Or that you see, actually, a Christian do something, and you'd be like, you gasp. You're like, oh, I can't believe they said that as a Christian. Because I remember one when I was younger. I was in a car with one of my relatives, husband and wife. And it was in Nigerian traffic. And so the man was driving, and he felt hard done by by somebody who drove in a particular way. He was really angry. That guy sort of maneuvered and did something. So eventually, he was able to get back into a position where he could look at the man. And I'll never forget. I still can see it. Looking at his face. He was looking, he was seething, he was like, should I say, should I say it? He just said, Shokonoa boy. <laughs> now, for those who are not Yorubas among us, first of all, Shokonoa is a deity of smallpox. So he was basically saying, may smallpox come upon you. It will, that would be the Southwest equivalent of people in the South South saying, thunder fire you. And your friends, obviously. <laughs> now, what was bad? That wasn't bad enough. What was actually bad, or reveals that what was bad, was what his wife said. His wife said, after he said that, she said, Ha! Pastor! <laughs> now, at this point, I need to clarify, this did not happen between me and my wife. It's not, I'm not trying to tell you this, it wasn't me. I didn't say that, right? Let's just get it clear. But she gasped because she was like, as a Christian, you can say something that comes out of your mouth. It made her gasp. 
I don't know if you gasped when David read 5 verse 12 for us. What's in 5 verse 12? It's, you know, let's, let's say it as it is. Paul says, you know what? These people that are trying to get you circumcised. What's in circumcision? Circumcision is really removing the foreskin of a penis. It's like, why did they end at the foreskin? The cuckoo man should just go and just cut off the whole thing. I'm just preaching Bible here. You understand? <laughs> to which some of us should have said, ah, Paul, apostle here of this. The only problem is that Paul is the apostle, so which one are we going to? Well, all of you, I don't really read the thing and you just say, thanks be to God, right? <laughs> now, today we are not trying to debate how we can use, whether or not as Christians we can use such language. What I want you to notice from that is to observe Paul's obvious passion regarding what was going on among these Galatian Christians. He uses such strong language because he's saying that these people, these agitators, were responsible for cutting in on the good race that the Galatians were running in obeying the truth, verse 10. Or that, verse 7, or that they were throwing them into confusion. And the result of cutting in on the good race or throwing them into confusion, you know what that led to? It led to the fact that free people were living as slaves. It reminds me of a true saying that we have here in Nigeria, perfectly exemplified by my very good friend, Yemi Oshinubi, who's probably watching. It says this. You can take a man out from Ijebu Igbo, but you can't take. So Philip, finish for me. He would love to hear it. But you can't take from the man. Yes, it's not come out from him yet. Many people who have been in slavery before, they say you can take people out of slavery, but you can't take slavery out of them. Paul in this place is saying that it's very possible, provided the wrong circumstances, that people who have heard the message of liberation in the grace of Christ, who have become free after that, that they then continue to slip back into living in slavery. I don't know how you entered this place or what you have been going through, but I do sense that based on some of the things that have been going on in the country or maybe based on some of the things that have been going on in your life, there are some here today who would claim to be free, but you are still living as slaves. Well, I've got good news for you, that by the grace of God, at the end of this sermon, you will not just realize that you are born again, but that you can be free again that you will not just realize that you have been made free, but that you will be able to live in the freedom for which Christ has set you free. But I want you to propose that in your heart, that that will be your experience. And for that to be experienced, why don't we call upon the name of the Lord? Lord God Almighty, we ask you now, as we want to enter into your word, as we want to enter into this sermon, Lord, we ask that you, the God of liberty, will release upon us now the spirit of liberty. For you said, where the Spirit of God is, there there is freedom. Father, grant us the freedom that we have in Christ through your Spirit today in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray that you free minds. We pray that you break chains. We pray, Lord God Almighty, that you will deliver. Oh, that you will be so mighty to deliver this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for us to come out of that, the one thing we do have to know and we have to be clear about is the value of freedom, the value of freedom. And that's what we've titled this sermon, The Value of Freedom. And it's titled, we've, we've, uh, we'll look at it under these three headings. One, enslaved freedom. Two, liberated freedom. Three, scandalous freedom. Enslaved freedom, liberated freedom, and scandalous freedom. So let's start with the first one. Enslaved freedom. Now. In particular, what were, these Gal what were these people teaching these Galatian Christians? What were they teaching them? Right? We've been going through a lot of it, and we've had it implicitly, but we see it for the first time explicitly in Galatians here. They were essentially telling them that, yeah, you become a Christian by having faith in Christ. 
no problem. That's not bad. It's good. However, for you to complete your standing with God, to really be sure that you've completed your standing with God, you do need to do something. What is it? You need to be circumcised. So you see it in verse 2, if you let yourself be circumcised. If you see it in verse 3, any man who lets himself be circumcised. Now, Paul, for Paul, this was tantamount to, in verse 4, he says, being justified by the law. Quick one. By justified, it means the process through which you can stand before God and say, no problem. That God can say, hey, look, this guy, he can stand before me, innocent. These ladies can stand before me. They are fantastic. So the process that gets you there, that makes you righteous, is the justification. And he calls it justification by the law because the circumcision was part of the law. So he's saying that if you get circumcised, you will be justified by the law. And Paul goes crazy about that. Because for him, if you try to be justified by the law, they will become burdened again. Verse 1, do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Notice what he did not say. He did not say, do not let yourself be burdened by the yoke of slavery. He says what? Do not let yourself be burdened again. In other words, he's saying those who are initially Christians, converted, can still live as slaves again. In fact, he's already hinted at that in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4. He says, formerly when you did not know God, there was a time you did not know God, you were slaves to those things who would by nature are not God. But now that you know God, rather, are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Now, to understand it at a deeper level, we need to look at what Paul says, which may seem grammatically awkward, the opening in verse 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Uh, what's wrong with your grammar? Did you not go to, like, Christ has set us free. And so I'm free. Or I have now obtained freedom. Why are you saying it is for freedom that Christ has set you free? What may seem grammatically awkward is not philosophically wrong. It's actually, in fact, philosophically profound, which is there are two types of freedom. Notice, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free, verb, free. Set us free, verb. But freedom, it's for freedom, is a noun. Paul is saying there are two types of freedom. What you can call negative freedom and you can call positive freedom. Negative freedom is freedom from something. Positive freedom is freedom to something. Are we getting it? Or maybe I can put it in this other way. You see, like an expressway. Imagine with the population of people that are around and the population of people that come in, they just set up the expressway and they just put on, they just put roundabouts. And that's all. Nothing to drive traffic, nothing, whatever. What would we inherit? Chaos. Chaos. Traffic, isn't it? So some people then say, in order to deal with this thing, you know what we need to do? We need to put traffic lights. All right? Let's abolish the, let's remove the roundabout. Let's put traffic lights. Okay. Now that they put the traffic lights, what will we then have? What will we then have? We'll have, the, the traffic lights were meant to deliver us from what? Disorder. So now that we have, they put the traffic lights, what will we now have? Order. Order. Wrong. No. You potentially have it. You objectively have it. You still need something. You need people to obey the traffic lights. Do you understand? In other words, the traffic lights objectively set us free from disorder. But for us to subjectively enjoy the freedom, we need to obey it. Are we following? Right? So when he says, for freedom, Christ has set you free objectively. To what? To enjoy subjectively that freedom. Are we getting it? That is, he has set us free from something. But now he's setting us free towards something. And he's saying, Paul is saying that these people who claim to be Christians, who have been set free, he's saying it's possible for them to be free but return to live as slaves. And if there is a way you can live your Christian life in such a way that 
Christ will no longer be of value to you, verse 2. He even has stronger ways of describing it. He says that in verse 4, he says, you will be alienated from Christ. You would have fallen from grace. Very strong words. But again, it's because Paul is passionate about not being justified by the law, by that, as I said, it's setting up certain standards, certain performance standards to say, if I can meet this performance standard, then I know God will accept me. Paul says, if you do that, the only result is to bring people into slavery. And there are two types of slavery I want us to see. The first is slavery to fear. The second is slavery to self. Slavery to fear and slavery to self. Now, for slavery to fear, don't forget in verse 10, Paul says, these people are thrown into confusion. You know why he says that they are thrown into confusion? He's saying there's something about this law and this their new way that even they, they're either ignorant or they're dishonest because this thing doesn't work. They're not as smart as they think. Let me explain. The law was a set of instructions, the law, the Torah, was a set of instructions, so it had a number of laws, that God gave to the children of Israel when he made a covenant with them. So it's both a covenant and the stipulations of the covenant. Now, the children of Israel were meant to obey everything in the law, not in a way to obtain righteousness with God. It was because they were already the people of God, to distinguish them from other people. Do you understand? But they were meant to observe everything in the law. So Paul is saying, hang on. The law is not just a law. The law is laws, and you are meant to obey all of them. So if you are taking one of the laws, which is about circumcision, and you are saying, through this law, you can justify yourself before God, then you are not being honest, because you are meant to obey all the laws. So if you are trying to justify yourself by this one law, you are meant to, you are obligated to justify yourself through all the laws. Are you getting it? Verse 3, look at what he says. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, one of the laws, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. It's not enough that you keep one. It's sort of like, I think, like I illustrate this way, one of the most, the, one of the, is that foolishest? Can I use the word foolishest? But foolishest. Now, look at Tedo now. He's looking very nice. He's wearing this wonderful, nice, white native, right? OJ is wearing a nice white shirt. Evie is wearing a nice white shirt. One of the foolishest things they can do now is imagine after they leave church, they go and have a nice breakfast, a nice lunch. And that lunch consists of one of my favorite things, bokoto. Right? You know what bokoto is? That's but, uh, what is it? Uh, you, you, uh, your, your mom will be, will be unhappy with you. What was that? What's that? She loves it. Bokoto is boneless cow leg. Soft, boneless cow leg. But if it's too soft, it's a bit of a problem. If it's too hard, it's a bit of a problem, right? So you sort of have to have it in the middle to really enjoy it. It is a wonderful thing. Now, when you take Bokoto, now, some of the more experienced ones of us, right, we don't want it because, you know, it's a little bit elastic. You don't, so you don't want it to spill all over. So there's a way you put it in, you control. You have to control it from your shoulder. You're, you're sort of trying to pull it, but you don't want to pull it too much. So it's getting, pop. Now, the more inexperienced some of you there that have no home training, right? You know, ah, this thing wants to be poor. Ah, what happened? Oh, you saw what happened. But let's say Tedo, Tedo is an experienced man. So Tedo does it, and he just goes, now, even with that, you always realize. You look, you see one spot. But Tedu was also meant to have a high-stake meeting for somebody that was meant to invest in his business. Would Tedu go like that? Why? Because even though it is one spot, it has ruined what? The entire thing. And so James says in James 2 verse 10, if you keep the whole law, but, look at it, James 2 verse 10, if you keep the whole law and yet you stumble at just one spot, one point, you are guilty of breaking it all. Paul is saying this thing, if you do that, you'll be guilty of breaking it all, and therefore, you will already stand condemned. 
Trying to justify yourself by the law will always keep you in condemnation and then you will be scared. Maybe I can illustrate it again by this one. If you have ever been in a relationship, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a relationship where your sole purpose for that in that, in that relationship is to keep the other person pleased so that they will not break the relationship. You always just want, ah, I don't want, I don't want her to leave. I don't want him to leave. So you are doing that. What is the result of that? Let me tell you what it is. You will always be living on edge. You'll be living on the edge, not because you will not be doing things that are right, but it is for the fear of, of doing something that is what? Wrong. You may have done 28, uh, 29 of 30 things right, but you're always scared that, hey, that last 30 of 30, will I keep it wrong? So you are always living in fear of the person actually breaking the relationship. Truth is, even though you had a relationship with the person, you were never free to enjoy that relationship. Because you really didn't have a relationship with the person. You had a relationship with the person's standards. And because you can never meet the person's standards fully, one day you will slip up. And when you do slip up, you will be found in condemnation by the person. That is why in 1 John 4, 18, it says this, fear has to do with punishment. And so if you are trying to justify yourself, by keeping the law before God and God's own standards are more, they are perfect than, more perfect than any other human being, you know what's going to happen? Your relationship with God will be driven by fear. Oh, may God deliver us from slavery to fear. Paul said there is no way, this is no way to live. You will be scared of God's judgment, and rightly so, because this is not how God set it up, but that it is possible for those who once were free to be able to now slip back into a mindset that keeps them in slavery. But the second one is this, slavery to self. You see, there are people, in verse 6, there are people who care nothing about the circumcision. In fact, their value is in uncircumcision. That's why Paul says in verse 6, In Christ, neither circumcision nor what? Uncircumcision has any value. These are people who are puffed up by grace. So have you heard the message of grace? <laughs> all, these, all these things about wearing uh, 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 women putting on scarves, men taking off their hearts uh, when they enter church. Do this. Don't listen to this music. Don't listen to that. God has given us grace. Super abundant grace. You, you, you don't know grace? <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> they elevate themselves based on what they know and look down on others based on what they don't know. Like you're still talking about circumcision? We are free with uncircumcision. Unless I say this thing as though those people, let me tell you, that's what I struggle with. Even though mine is a little bit more messed up. Because I tend to look down on people who look down on people. <laughs> Sadly. So many times when you see people just ranting on Facebook or ranting on and they are, they've just found one new doctrine. And they have just understood some part of it. And now they are looking for people to be bashing. Like, you don't understand this. You don't understand that. And they explain it. I'm looking. Anyway, well done. <laughs> what have you read? So you read one, 300 letter article, do you know that there are at least 15 possible, uh, 15 studies on this particular thing and each of them 2,500? What have you read? Now, you see, the messed up thing about it is that I am being an anti-pharisaical Pharisee. You are looking at the Pharisees and you are saying, thank God I am not like these other Pharisees. It's messed up. In other words, this is a slavery to your own fandom. You are the one that cheers for yourself. You are the player and the cheerleader as well. And many times we can't get ourselves out of that mindset. Ah, look, I'm not like her. I'm not like him. Thank God. All these people that are doing these things. Thank God that we, we go to a church where we don't talk about money. Thank God that we go to a church where we've got the balance of our music and whatever. Are you seeing it? Slavery to self. In Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. Guys, it is possible to fall from grace precisely by understanding grace and misapplying it. Slavery to yourself. May God deliver us from the slavery to ourselves. May God deliver us from all forms of slavery. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That leads me to my second point. 
How then do we resist? How do we stop? How are we not brought back into the slavery after we have been set free? Very simple. Two words, Paul says. Stand firm. Stand what? Firm. Turn to your neighbor and say stand firm. Now, there are two ways we will stand firm. One is positive, the other one is negative. Now, if you notice in the text, it says, stand firm and do not let. That's a negative. Resist. Standing firm is a sort of, uh, the Greek there is a sort of militaristic resistance. Sort of when they say, attention. You know the difference between attention and adjuaya, as you are, at ease, right? Stand firm. Don't allow. Resist it. In other words, Paul is saying you have to resist because in verses 8 to 9, he says these people are persuasive. This persuasion does not come from. That is, they are persuasive. And if you allow this teaching to continue, he says a little yeast word spreads into the whole dough. Earlier this week, I was spending time with uh, our music people, some of the singers, and we're, you know what we're talking about? How do we choose songs? How do we know what song is right? And we're talking about theological things. I was showing them about how no, you put this one here, we can use the Trinity here, but you also have to make the song sound good. So it's, it's, not, just the, it's, not, it's not just the lyrics, it's the theology and the lyrics, but the theology matters. Because if it, if it didn't, you know, sometimes some of us are like, well, this theology is not for me, it's not, I just want something that just applies to my life. Just give me, I like when people use the Bible and they make it apply to my life. It should apply to your life. But if you are only concerned about its relevance to you, then all it takes is for somebody to present it in a persuasive way that makes you feel good. And the barometer about uh, the barometer with which you use to make sure whether it is true or not will be whether you feel good or not. And it's very possible to package heresy in a way that makes it feel good. That is why theology is not just for pastors and church leaders. It's for everyone. Because when you get good at spotting what is right, you will know what is also wrong. Stand firm. Stand firm. Don't allow yourselves to be brought under bondage. But you see, the standing firm is not just in the negative. It's also in the positive. Do you train yourself to be the kind of person who lives in freedom, not just is trying to resist slavery? Did you get what I said? Not just that you are trying to resist slavery, you should be living in freedom. In other words, you should know not just what you are being set free from, but what you are being set free towards. And that's where 5 to 6, which can be a little bit technically difficult, but I'll try to explain it as best as I can. That's where it comes in. You see, in verse 5, it says that, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Through the Spirit we are eagerly waiting for something. What? righteousness for which we hope. What he's essentially saying is this. If you believe in Christ Jesus, he gives you a status now where you are in right standing with God. If you believe in him now. However, he is still going to test that status on the judgment day. That is, God is still going to look and say, why should I let you into my heavenly kingdom, right? The confidence that you have that the status that you have today will be the status that will be on that last day is that God gives you his spirit and his spirit preserves you up to that time. Do we understand that? So you know that the status you have on this day is the status you have on last day. That's why John says, so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment. So the spirit is helping us towards the last day. Fantastic. But the spirit is also helping us for today and every day. By what? Well, the Spirit is given to us to express love. Verse 6. It is not that circumcision or uncircumcision in Christ have any value. Let me tell you what counts. Faith expressing itself through love. Why does this matter? Notice it says faith expressing itself through love. Not faith and love. It is faith expressing itself, what? Through love. In other words, he's saying we should have faith in Christ, but that faith always announces itself in a particular way. It announces itself in love. Faith is always pregnant, but when it delivers, it neither delivers wind, nor does it deliver a stillborn. It always gives birth to a baby, and its baby is what? Faith and love. Sorry. 
edit that part. They will just say, love. Then you put it together. Genuine, we are never justified by faith and something. We are not justified by faith and love, but we are justified by a faith that always produces love. In other words, if there is no love, then there is no faith. That's why 1 John 4 verse 19 to 21 says this thing. We love because we first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister, a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Say it with me. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother now notice, they must also love. In other words, this love, on the one hand, though it is the proof that we have faith, but actually this love is something that we need ongoing. It does something. It helps us to resist the life that makes us go back into slavery. It proves the fact that we have been saved by faith, but it also helps us in the battle against slavery. And let, let me explain. Notice that John says, love towards God and love towards brothers and sisters. So in other words, how do you fight to resist with love? It is about love towards God and love towards others. Let me explain. Love towards God. How do you express your love towards God? Very simple. John 14, verse 15 and 21. If you love me, who is the one that loves? Whoever, keeps, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who... How do we love God? Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. It won't be better for you. Jesus, I love. <laughs> it's like, it's not just about your feelings. If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. So with somebody then says, how is that rules? How is it that you are connecting rules and freedom? Because this is what I suffered in my former church. All these rules, 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 rules. And it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now you are trying to make me, you know, bound by all these rules again. The reason is that you've misunderstood the meaning of freedom. Because freedom is not, freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but freedom is the ability to flourish under the right conditions. Freedom is not the absence of what? Restrictions, but the ability to flourish under Right restrictions. You see, our children, for those of you that have children, you don't just say something like, ah, me, I want my children to be free, so I don't give them any rules. Listen, listen. Benaya, Bethel, come. This is the only advice I'll give to you. Climb every mountain. <laughs> Fold every stream. Follow every rainbow <laughs> until you do what? Find your dream and just allow them to fly. If I could fly with the whatever of an eagle, because I don't want, I want them to be free. But actually, when we restrict our children with discipline, do you know what we're doing? We're not restricting, we're not taking freedom away from them. We are setting them up to enjoy freedom. Because if our children become social delinquents, you know what's going to happen? They will experience social what? Slavery. It's called imprisonment. Or take education. Why do we get educated? Bill Clinton said they were telling him that education was so expensive. He said, if you think education is expensive, you have not tried ignorance. It's far more expensive. It's far more restrictive. What he was saying is this. Does education restrict your life? It does. It does financially, right? Because when you are saying, I want to be educated, you are saying, I don't want to spend money on this. I'm going to spend money on the education. Why? So that later in life, you have better financial word, freedom. You sacrifice time to read your books so that later in life, you have the freedom to be able to get jobs and do the things you want to do. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but the ability to flourish under the right conditions. When the God who made the heavens and the earth and made you and put you in the world that is created and said, this is what you should do. He is not just taking away your freedom. He's wanting you to live in freedom. For every time we keep God's commandment, we are living in freedom. He is showing us the way to flourish. 
Commandments are not there to justify us. Commandments are there to remind us that we are free indeed. Because anytime you keep breaking God's commandments, your conscience is solid. You now start feeling a bit bad. Do you think you are in freedom at that point? If you want to resist slavery, learn to love God by keeping what? His commandments. For there you will show your freedom and you get better at resisting the overtures that slavery brings. Amen? Amen. But here's the second thing. Love towards others. Love towards others. You know the funny thing about fear? Fear is very self-centered. I know this. You see, sadly, some of us have really been feeding on bad news, haven't we? We've been feeding on bad news before we came here. Before our practice was to feed on bad news, bad news all over Twitter. This is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. And now the bad news we are feeding on is that Twitter, where we could find our bad news, is no longer available to us. Now don't get don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying, I'm not making a comment as per whether or not the banning of Twitter is an issue. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about feasting. Feasting on bad news. Where you're, 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 you wake up in the morning and say, hey, do you know what has happened? Another thing, do you know who was kidnapped? Do you know, you're sharing, sharing, sharing. Do we have a kidnapping problem? Yes. Do you need to send 100 messages about kidnapping to understand that? Now, the reason that is a problem is because you think about it. You think about what hasn't gone wrong, what has gone wrong in your life, what has gone wrong in the people's lives around, all the bad news that is there. You will now start feasting on it so much that you will be living in sadness about the thing that has not yet happened to you but may happen to you. And so what is taken away from you? Joy is taken away from you. I hardly meet people who continue to make a feast, who feast at the table of negativity, bad news, who actually have some kind of joy. You say, but Femi, what do I do now? Aren't these things happening? I'm saying, yes, they're happening, but they're not the only things happening. When you continue to feed on terrible news to the neglect of the other things, the other ways that God is working, even though the news, the bad news is true, you are not actually feasting on reality. Because reality has to have both of them, what? Side by side. The problem is if you keep feasting on that, actually you've now bought into lies. And what happens? You start to withdraw. You start to withdraw. You start to have torment. Remember I said fear has to do with what? Torment. With punishment because fear is what? A torment. And so what then happens is you start being isolated from people. And let me tell you one thing. My experience as a pastor and just reading about this thing, the one thing I tell you about people who live in fear, do you know what they never do? They never are acting in serving. I can say for church, those are the people that don't serve. In fact, they don't even want to attend church, whether online or here. Why? Because you don't know all the bad things that are happening. Those are the kind of people who sometimes you just be like, there's no reason to thank God. They don't say, I don't thank God again. But actually, they are not thanking God. When last did you thank God for the lilies of the field? When last did you thank God that you have breath in your nostril? When last did you thank God? If you, not all your family members are dead. How about the ones that are there? When last did you thank God for the clothes that you wear? Do you think it's automatic? The food that you eat. When we cannot thank God again, we lose joy, we lose enchantment, and then we are tormented by fear constantly. This is no way to live. So they don't serve. They don't ask about how people are doing. They are always complaining about how nobody is calling them. When like, next time, when you now call them, you now say, ah, how are you? Now, well, you are just calling me after all this, whatever. Or they don't come for two weeks. They now say, this church, you don't love anybody because don't know, I, was, I was in the hospital and nobody came to check up on me. Hey, because you have not been in church in three months. <laughs> how do we know? And we've been, when we're calling you, calling you, you don't want to be disturbed. You don't, because nobody understands what you are going through. Yes, because not everybody is living in that dark space. Can you come out of that dark space? For there is a greater reality. Let me tell you something. The way you get rid of that fear, the absence or the opposite of fear is not bravery. The opposite of fear, what? Is love. It is perfect love that, what? Casts out fear. 
I am not saying that by loving and by serving and by looking for to do good, that you are now denying, you should deny what the reality of what's going on. Love is not a way to deny your fear. Love is a way to cast out your fear. For those who are living in love, then say, if this bad thing is happening, they don't say, which other bad thing is happening? That's the person that is in bondage and is living in fear. The people that are lovers will say, if this bad thing is happening, what can I do about it? Be lovers, not people of bondage. Faith expressing itself in love. I pray that God will deliver some people here or some people watching from this endless cycle of trying to feed on what is bad. This endless cycle that Nigeria is going to doldrums while you are here and so the only solution we have is to find a way of running away. But lovers, when things go tough, lovers do not run away. They run towards it to see what they can do. For we refuse to believe, to, to go back into the bondage of living by fear. Amen? Amen? Show love. Show love. For where love arises, fear departs. Perfect love, what? Casts out fear. Now, finally, if we are standing firm by loving, I do want to say, there is one more element if we are to defeat this life of being slavery once again. That brings us to my final point, scandalous freedom. To keep ourselves from falling into slavery, we need to solve what I call the value problem. We have a value problem. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, we have a value problem. You see, Paul in, verse five, verse, in 5 verse 2 says, Christ will be of no value to you. Notice what he did not say. He did not say Christ is of no value. He says, because Christ has objective intrinsic value. But he's saying, subjectively to you, if you go down this road, Christ will be of no value what? To you. It's like, um, um, uh, during, Yemi is not here again, but Yemi, remember during your first job, in Yemi's first job, right, in finance, at that time, um, one pound was equal to one naira, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was, I think it was like late 70s or something now. So, uh, okay, maybe my mind, maybe my mind, maybe it's, all right, maybe it was your second job, okay. All right, now, one, there was a time, our parents have told us, have you, have you, ah, there was a time when one pound was equal to one naira. In fact, one, one naira was equal to two dollars. We, we didn't want to travel to all those places. We wanted to stay. So I said, you, you do have spirit of prophecy. That's why, that's why you should have gone. Had me there. But because of certain economic conditions and things that have happened over a period of time, what has happened? One pound is now equal to what? 700. You people, you have watching bad news. Always watching Aboki, Aboki FX. That's what's happening. 700 naira. And two. And Jara, you see them. Eh? <laughs> now, wow. You people have running, come, you have app, I'll be just checking. Those are people that have pounds. It's not the base, it's people that have pounds. Plan, plan, that's plan C. All right. Now, what has happened? One naira is still one naira. One naira is still one naira. But relative to the pound, it has lost its value. This is a devaluation that we've seen. So on account of that, one naira cannot buy what he used to buy in that time. It, you would need 700 naira to buy what one naira what, has, has, what You would need 700 naira to buy what one naira used to buy at that time. Do you understand? Because the naira has what? Been devalued. And what Paul is saying is there is a way. There is a way, even though we are Christians and we appreciate Christ, there is a way that Christ becomes devalued to us. May God bring about a valuation of Christ in our lives again. For this is the only way we can be free. Maybe I can explain. It takes me to a parable that I think illustrates this so well. A parable in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus himself says it. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Jesus says, there was a king. And that king had a number of servants. But there was this particular servant that owed him a lot of money. He owed him 20 years worth of wages. So he called him. He said, no, I want my money. I'm going to sell you 
and your children and your wife into slavery. In other words, the man wasn't now just poor because of the debt he had. He was now at risk of intergenerational poverty. So the guy then said, ah, oh, king, please, don't worry. I beg you. I will pay back all. An absolute, he was not just a debtor. He was a foolish debtor. How is he going to pay it all? 20 years? Are you not, maybe he thought that if I work for 20 then I will not be able to play it. But won't you eat? Won't your family eat? Won't you pay rent? Won't you have clothes? He could never pay it on his own. Do you understand? So the king looked and said, this foolish guy and this money, what is the best way out of this thing? It's either I'm selling into slavery or I actually cancel the debt. And the king canceled the debt. Not long after, the guy then went outside. He now saw somebody that owed him 7,000 times Less of what he owed the king. You know what he did? Oga, come here. Where's my money? He grabbed him. He choked him. He said, pay me my money. The other one in the used the same words to beg him that he begged the king. And that one said, please, I will pay it. He now says, send him into prison until he's able to pay it. How is he going to pay it when he's not in prison? <laughs> and how much did he owe him? He owed him one day. One day. One laborer's day wage. What did he owe the king? 20 years of a laborer's age. What was happening there? He knew the cost of the debt. He knew what the cost of what he owed the king. He knew the cost of what was owed to him, but he did not have a good sense of value of them. He saw what was owed to him. He valued it more than what he valued the debt that, was, that he owed to the king. In other words, he went into a system of devaluation of the debt. And God says that is what we are like when we start to add Christ to something else. Because we are that servant. God is the king. God has forgiven us in Christ. But many times we find it hard to forgive other people. You know why? Because we devalue what it costs Christ to actually forgive us. Many times we know what the, 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 the cost is. Oh, is it not that Jesus went to the cross? He went to the cross and he died for me and he rose again on three days. But you don't understand what this person did to me. And thereby we know the cost of what it took us. But we don't know the value. And this kind of way of thinking is what puts us into slavery. This never came from heaven. That's what Paul said. This kind of thinking, this persuasion did not come from the one that called you. I'll tell you where it came from. It was cooked in the filthy, stinky, spiritual kitchen of hell. It was how the devil wanted to keep us in slavery. But I have good news for you. For it is for this reason that the Son of God came into the world. To destroy the works of the devil. Today, God is going to give us another sense of the value of Christ so that we will no longer fall into slavery. Amen. So how does he do it? Well, Paul says you need to live in the value of Christ once again by believing this scandalous message. You see in verse 11 he says if I'm still preaching circumcision not only why am I still being persecuted? But if I am, then the offense of the cross is what? Abolished. The Greek word offense there is scandalizo, from which we get the word scandal. In other words, he's saying the way out of this mess, the message I preach that delivers people from slavery, but you have to continue to believe, is a scandalous message. Why is it a scandalous message? Because it is the only price, it is the only cost that delivers us out of slavery and will continue to deliver us from the mindset of slavery. What is it? It is that the people were enslaved. The people who are human beings, flesh and blood, were enslaved. What was it going to take? It wasn't a God just sending them rules. It wasn't a God just saying, stand firm and then do not be, uh, don't get into slavery again. Here are the eight rules that will take you out of slavery. No. God himself became a slave. The infinite became finite. The God who created this world entered into sinful humanity's experience, taking up a body affected by sin, and he went to the cross, and he went to the cross, and he went to the cross, so that all the people who have been subjected to the, to the, to, to the slavery of death, but also the fear of death, will all their lifetime for all their lifetime will be delivered out of the devil's hands. Open to Hebrews 2 verse 14. For he says there, 
Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. I hope you can stop there. He too shared in their humanity. We don't have a God that cannot be felt with the feeling of our infirmities. But how is it? How can it be that the one who died has borne us in through sacrifice? To conquer every sting of death so that we can sing hallelujah. He bore our shame. He bore our humanity for the purpose of what? To destroy the works of the devil so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. But it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. And to free those who all their lives, the freedom is not just the freedom for the consequences of death, but also the effect of wrong thinking. To free those who all their lives were held in slavery. Why? For the fear of death. Listen, the only thing you are permitted to fear, according to the Bible, Matthew 10 verse 28, the only thing you are permitted to, to fear is the thing that can eternally be taken away from you. The problem we have is this. Our mindsets are so fixated on, can I be wealthy? Can I be employed? Can I be married? Can I? All of these things can be taken away from you. If it can be taken away from you and you live as though this thing is the most important thing to you, you will always be scared. You will always be scared of it being taken away from you. You always live in fear. But God says, fear not the one who can destroy the body alone. What is the worst thing that they can do to you? It's to kill you. It's to take away your life. It is to slit your throat. But this is what Jesus has given us. That if they cut off our head, one day we will put that head back up. The only thing that can be taken away from you that should give you nightmares is Jesus Christ. But if you have received Jesus, then fear will no longer reign upon you. This is the scandalous message. That no matter how much times we sin, if we come back to him, it is not asking for forgiveness in Christ and also doing this ablution. It is not asking for forgiveness in Christ and also sowing this seed. It is not asking for forgiveness in Christ. And name what it is. You can always go back through Christ because it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't yoke yourself again to any kind of bondage. I pray for those who have been enslaved because they want to be wealthy. I pray for those who have been enslaved because they want to be married, because they want to be popular, because they want to be influenced because you are scared of the government taking your freedom away. It is for this freedom that Christ has set you free. For if it can be taken away from you, then you can actually forget it. You don't have to fear it. But Christ will never be taken away from you. For freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't be yoked again. So if we want to enact that freedom, let us rise to our feet. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.